Hello, and welcome to this episode of the University of California Press Podcast. My name is Chris Gondek, and today I'll be speaking with Nikhil Pal Singh, the editor and introduction writer of Climbing Jacob's Ladder, the Black Freedom Movement Writings of Jack O'Dell. Nikhil Pal Singh is Associate Professor of Social and Cultural Analysis and History at New York University. He's the author of Black is a Country, Race and the Unfinished Struggle for Democracy. Nikhil Singh, thanks so much for taking time to talk to the UC Press Podcast today. Thank you. I look forward to it. You know, Jack O'Dell's had a really interesting life. Uh, Anti-fascist, merchant seaman, political organizer, civil rights worker, and a fairly prolific writer. What did Jack O'Dell write about? Um, Jack O'Dell wrote about a pretty wide range of of topics. Um, as you know, he was he was both an activist and and an intellectual and a writer, as as, as you mentioned. And so, um, he was not only writing documents for the organizations that he was working within, but then he also went on to have this quite long career as a writer and editor, mostly with the journal Freedom Ways, um, which was a really important periodical um, within the civil rights period and, uh, and of the civil rights movement. So during his years at Freedom Ways, um, Jack wrote, a no- he wrote and edited a number of, 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 of special issues and, and articles. Uh, but in addition to that, he, he wrote, I think, at least 20 to 25 major articles uh, from the 1960s to the 1980s. And those articles uh, extended from topics like um, the role of uh, the relationship of the civil rights movement to struggles against colonialism, or um, thinking about the roots and foundations of racism in American life, its relationship to questions of political economy, for example. So he wrote some essays like that that were kind of broadly historical and even theoretical in nature. But then he also wrote a lot of essays uh, which provided uh, pretty kind of pretty instant, but, but still very thoughtful analysis of unfolding events. So, for example, um, after the, the urban uh, uprisings of, uh, of, of 1967 that kind of spread across a number of uh, urban areas in the United States, um, Jack wrote a piece called The July Rebellions in the Military State, which was an analysis of these events and their, and their meaning and significance for um, the next phase of the black freedom movement. So in my first question, I did a very quick outline of some of the things that Jack O'Dell did before he started writing. Uh, how common would it have been to meet somebody in the civil rights movement like Jack O'Dell? With, because he had a strong international background. He traveled quite a lot before he really settled down in the United States in the late 40s and early 50s to work on civil rights. Well, I think it's probably more common than we yet fully understand. Uh, I think one of the things that a lot of the the, the newer historiography of the civil rights movement has begun to show is how deeply the roots of the movement or the roots of the struggle that really flower in the 1950s and 1960s um, kind of kind of kind of lie in the 1930s and 1940s in the in the labor movements of the 1930s and the 1940s and in the kinds of uh, mobilizations that emerge around World War II. Um, both uh, on the home front, but also um, the mobilization of people for war and uh, the, 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 um, the entry of black people into military service during World War II is going to have a huge impact um, in, um, in, in developing consciousness, in 
um, both of rights to citizenship, um, but also of consciousness of the wider world um, in which uh, the United States is situated. So Jack, um, for example, um, refuses to join the military initially um, because it's segregated. And so he already has a kind of political consciousness uh, in the 1930s. Um, but when uh, opportunity comes along to go into the Merchant Marines, which is not segregated, and be involved in, this, in, in the struggle, which is a struggle that Jack and his kind of generation understood largely as a struggle against fascism, um, he sees the opportunity because um, he wanted to be involved in that struggle. And the Merchant Marines then opened up a whole world to him because he was basically on ships going to... South America, going to Africa, going to South Asia. I mean, he was really all over the world. And one of the things he talks about in some of the interviews I've done with him and, and some of the interviews he's done with other people is what he learned during the, that time, those times on the ships. He says, you know, we sat around, we didn't have a lot to do a lot of the time, so we just we talked politics, played cards, and, and read. And, and since the Merchant Marines was, a, was an integrated organization, uh, it was filled with people who were um, committed to the idea of integration. Uh, so uh, the people who tended to be committed to the idea of integration in the 1930s and the 1940s usually came out of either the radical wing of the labor movement or, or they were people who had been politicized on the left. So they were communists or socialists of, of some kind or another. So I think that really is, a, is the crucible of Jack's own uh, political formation, intellectual formation, and I don't think he's unique in that regard. I think there are many people who pass through uh, that kind of formation in the 1930s and 1940s and then went on to be involved in various kinds of struggles after the war. Because he was exposed to institutional racism that was not inherent to the United States, where one could say he was going to uh, the colonial powers and seeing how these uh, um, how these European colonies were treating African-Americans, Asians, people who weren't white, that that began to uh, develop in him this thread of the relationship between militarism and racism. Would you say that's accurate? I think that there is a very interesting thing happening around World War II that is related to what we were just talking about with the sort of the sense of being involved in a worldwide struggle and a worldwide struggle um, against uh, fascism in, in Jack's terms. Really, that's how he thinks about World War II. And a fascism that is largely defined, in some, in some measure at least, by its virulent state racism. Um, and one of the things that Jack and his kind of cohort, um, especially of, of kind of African-American uh, leftists and radicals, uh, began to argue as early as the 1940s was that there was a, a very strong relationship between fascism and colonialism because both were rooted in notions of racial supremacy. And therefore, there was also a very strong relationship between fascism, colonialism, and um, the, the U.S. version of racial supremacist practice and ideology, white supremacy and Jim Crow. So they began partly through their, their travels and what they were seeing around the world and partly through their new sense of a kind of, of, kind of militancy and entitlement uh, to citizenship rights 
by virtue of their military service. To start to draw these connections across these three historical forms of kind of uh, racist uh, discourse and practice. Now, I think that the, the connections between racism and militarism um, begin to get forged more, uh, more tightly for Jack um, in the context of the Cold War. And when he begins to see the kind of role that the United States is going to begin to play after World War II. So I think that that really becomes a, a, sort, of, a sort of turn for him, where, where he, 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 he comes out of World War II and into the 1940s, like a lot of people, with, with huge hopes. And I think this is actually very important when we think about even the current moment we're living in. Huge hopes that... Uh, that, that this, this period is going to see the, the, the rise of, of, a, of a, new, uh, a new political settlement in the United States and really going to, is, is really going to lead to the undoing of, um, of Jim Crow. I mean, this is, this is 1946, 1947. Organizers from the labor movement are going to the South. Jack is one of them. Um, they're trying to organize the unorganized, including black workers. They're trying to organize across the color line. Um, they're mobilizing politically for the vote in unprecedented numbers. I mean, this is in the, in, the, in the late 1940s. And a lot of that activity right after World War II is going to get pretty brutally shut down by the Cold War and by the sort of rise of anti-communism, um, anti-communism which provides a new cloak for white supremacy, particularly in the South, as Southerners begin to say, well, all of this agitation, it's just the work of communists, and they kind of have a new legitimacy in making that kind of argument. They sort of, in, in some ways, try to change the conversation to one that in World War II was about racism and fascism, but after World War II becomes uh, an argument about communism and security. You know, Jack is only in his, um, let's see, he's born in 1923, so, you know, he's only in his, 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 his late 20s at that point when he's coming back from the war. And he's trying to figure out, figure out where he's, where he's going to go. And I think that that, that that is a moment where he begins to see the United States making a commitment um, not to the globalization of democracy, um, but to a, a much more um, a much more militaristic stance, um, including a militaristic stance in relationship to um, areas of the world um, that are coming out of colonialism, but that the United States takes the position that the the the, the, the prevention of, of 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 movements on the left becomes more important than. Um, than guaranteeing people's rights to self-determination. You mentioned in an earlier answer that uh, you interviewed Jack O'Dell, and Mr. O'Dell is still alive and with us and writing, and he lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. So what does he think of 21st century America? Jack is, first of all, someone who is, I would characterize with the phrase, um, the optimism of the will. I mean, Jack is a deep, small d democrat and he believes in people's capacity to organize and make change even in the face of uh, overwhelming odds and in the face of hierarchies of, of, of power and money and influence that are arrayed against them and I think that, that his own career was marked by 
a continued movement. He was always moving to the next thing. He was always looking to the next place that one could turn to try to basically make a better world. And so I think when you when you when you talk about Jack about the present, he has an enormous optimism about the possibilities of making change. And I think like many of us in the context of the Obama election, um, we saw much of that on display. I mean, after 10 years of the policies of George W. Bush, it appeared that the wheel of American politics was turning again, and it was turning because ordinary people were becoming activated, and something was emerging that we didn't necessarily foresee. And I think Jack would always make that argument, that, that people, are, people need to be in motion, and we need to be ready, because the next thing is always around the corner. On the other hand, despite that optimism of the will, Jack has lived a long time, and he's seen a lot of defeat, even as he's also seen a lot of victories and a lot of progress in, in different, um, in different uh, arenas. And, and, and so he's not a naive person, and, and I think he recognizes that we live in a moment in which our, um, our, our government is controlled by money, in many respects. Uh, we live in, in something that resembles more of a plutocracy than a democracy. Democracy seems to emerge episodically when people vote, but it's not a deep commitment within a kind, kind of a mobilized citizenry that operates independent of the government, which is a, certainly what the civil rights movement was. Um, we live in a, a moment in which um, not only do corporations have an enormous influence over the government, but uh, we also live in a moment in which we're really being told that we need to think of ourselves as, in some sense, permanently at war in the interests of our security. And I think that as somebody who has been anti-war and an opponent of militarism and is who essentially argued really since the 60s that the growth of um, of, of militarism as, as both a culture and as a set of institutional commitments within the United States is partly what strangles democratic possibilities at home, but also around the world. I think Jack looks on the world that we're in at this moment um, with, with considerable trepidation and concern. So um, I think that you know, he, he, he always combines those two, those two dimensions, a, a fairly clear uh, cited analysis of what the situation we're in, but with a kind of um, a kind of encouragement to really try to think through what is it that we can do to transform this situation. Nikhil Singh, the editor of Climb and Jacob's Ladder, the Black Freedom Movement writings of Jack O'Dell. Thanks for being on the UC Press podcast today. Thanks so much, Chris. It was a pleasure talking to you. For information about other titles from the University of California Press, please visit our website at www.ucpress.edu. You can also become a fan of the UC Press on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter, where we are at UC Press. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2010, the University of California Press. All rights reserved.